0: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Wild Voices Project. Today I'm speaking with my very good friend Tiffany Francis, who was also the second ever guest on this podcast many, many months ago. Tiffany is an author and artist specialising in nature, wildlife and the outdoors, and in just a few days' time, her new and first book, Food You Can Forage, is being published. In this episode, you can get a sneak preview of an excerpt that Tiff reads aloud. Last year she was the winner of an episode of Kirsty's Handmade Christmas on Channel 4 and when she's not out foraging for seaweed and spotting amazing birds, she's likely to be at home in her kitchen cooking up beautiful cakes or concocting homemade alcohol. In this conversation we talk about Tiff's love of foraging food and why she thinks it's something anyone can have a go at her writing process and how she secured a book deal and her transition in the last few days to being a full-time freelance self-employed person. You can find out more about Tiff at tiffanyimogen.com or at tiffins11 on Twitter and she'll soon be opening an Etsy shop too where you can buy her artwork. Now let's dive in. it's great to have you back on the podcast you were I think my second ever guest on it uh, many many months ago so it's great to welcome you back and um, this is your first kind of night of freedom having given given up full-time employment to go self-employed so I was wondering how you're feeling.
1: Yeah it's pretty exciting actually I'm I'm feeling very positive and excited and um obviously yeah so I finished my sort of yeah full-time job today at five o'clock and then I drove home feeling very liberated but um I really loved my job so it's not exactly you know it's not like I've wanted to leave it and I'm now like oh thank god because it has been such a great job for me and it's really helped me develop and you know working outdoors on a farm has been amazing but um I just yeah I really felt like now was the time to really pursue freelance life it's something that I've always wanted to do but you know you always find excuses not to do it or you say oh no I'll do it in a year's time or when I've done this or you know when I've achieved that but a few circumstances led to it just sort of coming into my mind and being like no this is actually what I need to do now so it's been really exciting process I've sort of had a month or two to wind down from my job and prepare for freelance life so I'm feeling ready and feeling positive and optimistic and you know ready to really work hard and drink a lot of coffee um but yeah no I'm feeling great I'm feeling really really excited and lots of things in the pipeline and lots of good emails coming in and yeah so I'm feeling I'm feeling very positive and prepared (laughs) but I may regret saying that in like two weeks time
0: (laughs) that's really good though and what
1: uh, I'm sure there are I'm sure there are lots of
0: people out there who might have side gigs or kind of you know skills talents businesses on the side that they do what what was behind your decision to go full-time full-time freelance or full-time self-employed
1: well that's it so many you're right so many people do have hobbies on the side or you know part-time earners they're in some kind of creative way they're artists or writers or any kind of thing like that and it's such a struggle all the time I've always struggled with working and you know earning a wage and then having to squeeze all that stuff into your spare time and obviously everyone does what they love so it's sort of you know a lot more easy to squeeze stuff in when you're enjoying doing it but it's just that it's so hard to try and achieve what you want to achieve with anything creative and still follow a wage and it's obviously it's I'm amazingly lucky that I've been able to do that I've sort of worked my way up to it and I've managed to secure a few things so that I have some kind of not regular income, but you know, I'm not too worried. But it's hard, and it is really hard for creative people, um, especially these days. I think you know, so so many things to pay for, and trying to save for a house, and all the stupid stuff that especially young people have to deal with. But um, yeah, I just I just felt like it was the time, and what happened? A few life changes happened, and I I decided that I wanted to leave the area uh, and move away, and. At that point I told my I told my work I was like look I'm planning on moving away I feel like I need a change um and they were really happy about it you're not happy but you know they were really supportive and then they found my replacement by accident and then and they were like look you haven't given us a deadline but could we say this person could start and I was like oh, oh that's you know oh that's really jolted me into doing something but I had to say yes because I love the farm and I want them to you know I want to leave a a good person in my replacement but um so then I had I had to move. So it was really cool, actually, in hindsight, because I was then like, right, I've got this deadline. 28th of February is when my job finishes, whether I've got another job or not. And I started looking for other jobs, actually, at the time. I was like, oh, I'll try somewhere else. or try and do something with my skills. And I found loads of jobs that I probably could have applied for and got an interview and, you know, done quite well. And, but nothing was really sort of grabbing me. Nothing was making me feel like, oh, I'd love to do that. I'd love to work there. And I sort of had a really nice conversation with my sister, and um, who knows me very well. And she said, well, look, you've always wanted to do this freelance thing. You haven't got children at the moment. You haven't got a mortgage. Why not? You know, you're 26. I just turned 26 in January. It's a really good age to try it. And at the end of the day, in the situation I'm in, I've got nothing to lose because I already don't have a job. So it's quite. it was actually very freeing just to be able to say, OK, I'll just do it and if it doesn't work in six months a year time I'll just look for a job and I'm actually not in any worse position so I've been really really lucky with just the way things have turned out and then it actually turned out that I, I decided not to move away anyway and um, I've decided to stay here and I'm actually really happy with my decision so yeah life you know life finds a way as uh, Jurassic Park says so wisely um, <laughs> and um, <laughs> and so yeah I just feel like everything sort of happened for a reason, and. Yeah, it it's all turned out quite nicely, I hope.
0: <laughs> Have you got a plan in place for say the first four weeks or the first three
1: months or Well, what I've got, I wouldn't call it a plan, but I've got a spreadsheet. So I have marked out the rest of the year in months. And any time I'm lucky enough to get any kind of commission or little piece of money, I put it in my spreadsheet so then I can look when I'm panicking, I can look and be like, it's okay. I won't starve in April, but I may starve in March. Um, So it's sort of making me a lot more focused because I'm not worrying about, you know, on a week by week basis, I'm worrying more about, you know, if I get a lump, of money here then I can make it stretch to here and I'm just trying to see it as more of a year than because obviously I'm used to getting a wage at the end of every month which is the nicest feeling ever and I have to really change the way I'm thinking about that which is fine but um obviously I'm I've got quite a lot of different sort of I'd say forms of income for me and so it's not as if I get my one monthly wage like I said so um sometimes it's going to be tiny amounts of money and sometimes it might be a bit nicer amounts of money so I've just got to really just change the way I think and spread myself out a bit more I think but it will be okay I think you know I'm a happy person as long as I've got some food in the fridge I don't really mind about not going out or whatever but as long as I've got something nice to eat then I'm, I'm you know I don't feel too lost so as long as I can keep on top of that I'm feeling positive <laughs> that's my plan
0: <laughs> that sounds really good so what can um what can people come to you for and ask you to do freelance
1: Oh, good question. Well, obviously, uh, I love writing. Writing is my main passion, and it's what I've always wanted to do, and it's what I'm being, you know, it's going quite well for me, so that's nice. So um, anything to do with, uh, I've written a couple of features recently for magazines. I can write for magazines, newspapers, blogs, anything that you would like writing up. I actually wrote a recipe for the Wildlife Trust recently, which was really nice, because I... I'm sort of getting used to working with food and recipes and it was actually very enjoyable to write a recipe. So I can write anything, um, hopefully to do with wildlife and nature, because that is my speciality. Um, And obviously on the other side, I can do art and design. So... I'm doing, um, I'm just about to open an Etsy shop once I've got everything printed, but I'm going to be selling cards and bookmarks and notebooks and tote bags and that sort of thing with all my own designs on it. I mainly do acrylic paintings and line drawings. So those are going to be something to bring me in, you know, nice little bit every now and then if somebody wants to buy one of my cards or notebooks. And then I've also sort of, I'm looking into other things as well. So, um, and my old job, I used to do uh, interpretation boards on the site. So I was the creative developer. So in terms of museums and heritage, I, I did the signboards about archaeology and all that sort of thing that we had on the farm. So I'm, I'd i really like to sort of approach nature reserves and things like that. And I can write and design entire interpretation boards about the wildlife you can find there and what you can learn about and that sort of thing. So I'm sort of trying to branch out a bit with lots of different pockets of things, but um, generally, really, if it's anything to do with being creative and it's to do with nature, I can probably do it. <laughs> that's, that's, that's my optimism there.
0: <laughs> that's really exciting. I'm looking forward to your Etsy shop opening because I love your um, oh. illustrations and your your paintings.
1: Thank you. Well, yeah, because I obviously used to sell my cards um a few years ago. And again, it was the same old thing. I had too much on, I had a job, and I couldn't do all of the stuff I wanted to do. So I had to reduce it down. And it's so nice now to be able to have the liberty to just pursue all the things I wanted to pursue and didn't have the time to do. And very luckily, people have been very kind and they I've had a lot of people asking for my cards so I know I'm hoping that when I put them back on online on sale people will will buy some so yes please do that'd be great (laughs)
0: I'll be really interested in how it goes but it's really exciting to hear you talking kind of about just the the positive emotional side of the decision that you've taken it's really great I think to yeah to hear you focusing on that and I think it's yeah it's just really good
1: I've had a couple of um, of comments, you know, and it's fair enough. People, not it's not for everyone, and some people have been like, "Oh my God, you're giving up your job, like you're giving up your regular income." And I do sometimes. I'm like, "Oh my God, what am I doing?" But um, but no, most of the time, I'm like, "No, this is this is," you know. I just think like I've always thought life's too short for anything. Like, I just think at the end of the day, I I'm a very lucky person. I'm young. I'm in good health. I live in a nice area of the world. Like the worst that can happen is I just. Don't it doesn't work, and I just get another job, you know. Like there's no point in despairing and thinking the worst things because life is too short. And I just think I've always wanted to do this. Now I'm so I've got a lot of momentum going with my book coming out, and you know it's a good sort of wave to ride and i just feel like yeah i'll give it a go and if it doesn't work it's absolutely fine and you know i'll move on to something new but i'm really hoping it does work cuz uh, i'm really enjoying sitting around drinking coffee and listening to agatha christie audiobooks all day so <laughs> <laughs> fingers crossed it works <laughs>
0: um so i want to move on and talk about the main the main topic of this episode which is kind of a sneak preview for people of your book which is coming out on the on the 8th of March so in just a few days time from now um do you want to kind of give a quick summary of what it is and what what it's about before we delve into some of the detail
1: yeah definitely so yeah it's uh, just over a week away now very exciting um so it's called food you can forage and it's basically um a guide to foraging wild food in the countryside but the differences that I really wanted to sort of achieve with this book is there's a lot of field guides and you know very 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 informative and excellent books out there on foraging but in my experience they tend to be a little bit um I don't know they can be a little bit exclusive and they can maybe be a bit intimidating and they're not they don't really round off the hobby in the way that I think it deserves to be rounded off and by what I mean by that is it's all very well to know what food you can forage in the wild what what plants won't kill you that's an amazing thing to know and i hope people reading my book learn that but i also want them to sort of see it in the context of the wider countryside because we're so disconnected from the countryside these days and foraging is just an amazing way for people to get outside and really embrace the outdoors um because everybody loves food and this is just an amazing way to unite people through their love of food and hopefully allow them to see the landscape through new eyes. So I've sort of included bits on um, different habitats in the countryside, so woodland and coast and all that sort of thing, trying to just, you know, evoke a bit of love for the different habitats and what things to look out for. I've included what wildlife you can see while you're out. Um, There's like folklore and history involved. And obviously I've put my own recipes in the back as well because, I feel like if you're going to go out and pick these things, well, there's no point in you coming home and they just sit on the side and you don't really know what to do with them. So I sort of really wanted to do a really nice rounded experience of when you first go out the door, what you're looking for and why and the amazing history behind it all and then how you can sort of transform it into something actually recognisable that you can put in the fridge. Um, So, yeah, that was the idea behind it, really.
0: Yeah, so... A couple of questions come out of that for me. I think, firstly, how um, how dependent is our ability to go out into the countryside and forage on having a healthy countryside that's really rich in nature? How, how linked are you know the ability of our countryside to provide fruit and nuts and other types of food that we can forage? Uh, how much is that linked to the extent to which we're taking care of the countryside?
1: That is a good question. Um, I mean, obviously, (laughs) plant species all vary. So some of the plants in my book you will only find in really pristine, beautiful habitats, but a lot of them you can find in the middle of London, you can find in sort of brownfield sites and sort of skanky back ends of building sites and that sort of thing, do you know what I mean? So um, I think in reality they there aren't they're not actually that closely connected I think you can find a lot of wild food in the countryside or in our landscape not even rural landscape but urban Um, you can find a lot of food wild food and edible plants there but um, I think the the point I was trying to get across with the other things I've written about around the plant species is that by embracing the countryside and getting out there and enjoying this wild food and getting to know why it grows where it does i'm hoping it will actually instill a natural love of the landscape in the people doing it so that maybe even if they find you know a nice plant in some not very nice area of the country they might then be inspired to maybe take care of that area a bit more and improve it um so it's all connected really it's the same old story with nature isn't it you you know it's all it's all instilled in us deep down, and we've often forgotten about it, but it's just my way of getting people out there and connecting them a bit more, I think
0: yeah, and it sounds like what you're describing is something that if you know if people can go out in urban areas, brownfield sites, and find things that they can forage, it's something that's really accessible as well potentially.
1: Yeah, absolutely, because I'm completely the first person to admit that I'm really lucky where I live. I live in the middle of the South Downs National Park, and it's the most beautiful place in the world. I literally have to walk two minutes. I'm in the countryside. And I'm completely aware that not everybody has that. And that's absolutely fine, because, you know, every kind of landscape is beautiful in its own way. And every kind of landscape has edible food in it. You can definitely go foraging wherever you live in the UK. There is somewhere in walking distance that you can go and find wild plants. Um, and yeah, it's definitely really important. That's why I wrote about the different habitats, actually, because I wanted it not to just be this, you know, little daydream of people that live in the middle of a forest and that's just what foraging is. And if you don't live there, you can't do it because I wanted to make sure that people realise, you know, if they live near the... I've read about four habitats, the coast, the heath, woodland and meadows, which are habitats that are all over the country and everybody does live fairly near to some of those Um so yeah, that was that was my other thing really. I I just really wanted to make it just a fun and a not not intimidating thing. I feel like foraging can be a real elitist, you know. You feel like oh, I don't know what to do with that, and you you know. You, it's not, I don't mean to be mean, but like some people who write about it and talk about it, they can just be very like, oh, well, this is what we do. And if you don't know how to do it, then you know. But um, I just feel like it's such an easy thing to do. And it's so fun. And it's not scary. And it's, you can, I I actually think most people can identify three edible plants already without even realizing it. Um, So yeah, I think, I really do want to convey that it is for everyone, um, wherever you live and whatever your current relationship with the outdoors is. This can be for you as well.
0: Um, what's one of the What's one of the most exciting places that the, I suppose your your process of researching for the book or foraging for food over the past year or so has taken you?
1: Um. Well all sorts of places really I mean we did do a lot of exploring but I mean to be honest it's mainly around the south because you can find it everywhere so I thought well I can I can travel around where I live and you know not waste too many carbon miles but one place I did love going um last summer I went to the Isle of Mull uh with um a little wildlife tour holiday people I invited me along for a, a nice trip just to see what the, the trip was like and we went wildlife spotting for otters and all that sort of thing but Mull is just oh, such a beautiful beautiful place I absolutely yeah. fell in love with it it's so remote and just oh, away from people it's just lovely um, so between the otter spotting and hearing a corn crake and that sort of thing um I really went mad on the seaweed while we were there <laughs> I really loved because obviously it's an island and it's covered in seaweed so um I really enjoyed we were staying in this like beautiful cabin uh with a big arger and a lovely kitchen it was really old and amazing um so I went out and collected different bits of seaweed and dried them and sort of shared them around and allowed people to try them and see what they thought and mix them with some different spices and garlic and all this sort of thing so that was really nice actually because it wasn't even in my own kitchen or even in you know anywhere near where i live it's literally the opposite end of the country to where i live but that was really lovely just being able to explore a new landscape and um actually you know embracing the fact that it was a coastal place it was everything was covered in seawater and just sort of seeing what I could find to eat there as well. So that was really cool, I loved Mull, it was amazing. (laughs) Was that the first time you'd been? Yeah, it was the first time I'd been to, before I went to Mull, I'd only been to Edinburgh in Scotland, so I had never been anywhere else in Scotland. Obviously there was so much more to explore, I haven't even been to the Cairngorms yet. But um, yeah, it was amazing, I loved it. It was, um, yeah, I would definitely go back. And We went to a few other islands around it, it was awesome.
0: yeah Merle has to be one of my top favorite places possibly in the world it's um <laughs> yeah it's pretty lovely um so you so you said that this book is for everyone is is there any particular recipe that stands out to you that's really really simple and accessible that say like using you know black breeze which almost everyone must know or using just you know wild apples or something that is really easy for people to get to almost wherever they are?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I really try to make them nothing too complex at all because the the, the beauty is in the simplicity of the ingredients anyway, I think. So um, quite a lot of my recipes, a lot of people, they, they always say to me like, oh, if you got lost outside, you could just survive for days. I'm like, well, I couldn't. Like, the whole point of foraging isn't just to replace a modern diet with wild plants. Like you still need to eat other stuff. um, And that's not very fun. Um, And I'm vegetarian. So I'd I'd really, I'd really struggle with living outdoors on my own. Um, But the, yeah. So the recipes I I did, I really wanted to make them just really simple, very recognizable stuff as well. So I've done a lot of cakes um, and a lot of booze because they're my two favorite genres of food. Um, So um, yeah, I've done, of elderberry meads obviously slow gin because that has to go in there um slow cider as well and then yeah I've done cakes so I've done elderberry buns and dandelion biscuits and um I've done a few savory things a risotto um so I basically really wanted to try and just do a little bit of everything so that if you're into savory you're into sweet you're into berries, you're into whatever. There's just something nice for you to try. But I really am not the most gourmet cook in the world. Like I love cooking. I've always cooked and I've always loved baking and doing stuff in my kitchen. But I'm not I'm not into these ridiculously over-complex recipes where you have to, you know, it takes like six hours to make like a crumpet. Um, I, I'm quite happy to just, you know, go back to basics and just do simple, wholesome cooking. So yeah, I like to think that my recipes are are doable at home and everyone will be able to do them but um at least we had a lot of fun taste testing everything <laughs> i <laughs> broke my i broke my alcohol for um, my alcohol measurer like uh we dropped it on the floor and it smashed through overuse i've never <laughs> bought a new one so i've no idea how alcoholic anything in my cupboard is and i keep trying and i'm like oh my god but uh, it's great
0: <laughs> <laughs> does um well, two questions, I suppose. First, does um, does using food that you forage outdoors though, does it open up kind of new new flavors or new types of dishes, or does it just kind of freshen things up in the kitchen for you using no, using natural ingredients?
1: It, it definitely opens things up. I mean, um, I actually, I like I said, I love cooking, and but. The the main time I really, really started to love cooking was when I went vegetarian, which was when I was, uh, well, it was about four or five years ago now. Um, I try not to be too preachy about it. But uh, when I went vegetarian, I it really made me into a much better cook because I was much more limited on what I could use. I didn't have the meat as the main thing in the middle of the plate. So I've really, I really learned to develop my flavors then. And then when I started using wild food as well, a lot of it is similar to things we have. So, um, for example, wild marjoram tastes very similar to the oregano you buy in the supermarket, but it's just a different kind of flavour. So you can, it's so easy because you can use it in so many different ways. If you know how to use herbs, then you know how to use wild herbs. You know, it's it's really easy and the same with berries. Like if you know how to use strawberries and raspberries and blueberries and things, then you can use blackberries and elderberries. Like it's, it's such an easy transition. Um, but it does just bring something different because often I've made things for people and out of foraged food and they're like, This is really nice, if I say so myself. Um, they say this is really nice, but what is it? I can't really I can't really work out what it is. And it's because it's just a slightly different variety of something they are familiar with and it yeah, I think it does just freshen up freshen up our menus, you know. And I think I do personally believe there is something really I think a meal is nicer when it's seasonal as well. If, you, if you're if you eating something at the time when it is meant to be growing, I genuinely believe that it, it tastes nicer, it feels nicer to eat it, and it just feels more natural to be eating it. Um, so, yeah, I think generally it has freshened up um, cooking for me and, um, you know, the, the sort of creativity I find myself in the kitchen. And, yeah, it's just a really nice twist to everything you're doing, really. And it's free. <laughs> it's great. <laughs>
0: Yeah, that's true as well. Yeah, to be honest, that hadn't even crossed my mind. The the experience of eating it, I suppose, and of sharing it with other people must be a bit different as well when there's a story to tell around it, when you've taken it from, you know, from quote-unquote field to fork yourself, when you've taken it from the hedgerow all the way back home, and you've got that story around the food. That must change the experience of preparing it and then eating it, whether that's on your own or with other people as well.
1: Yeah, it's the difference between, say you get invited around for dinner somewhere and you bring a bottle of wine. Nobody even notices you bring a bottle of wine. You just drink it and it's gone and it's done. Um, But I got invited around for dinner and I bought a bottle of slow gin round and we didn't even drink it with the meal, but we had it as pudding and everyone talked about it and we tasted it and I talked about how I'd made it and how that day we'd gone out and gotten lost in the woods. And it was just so lovely because you're right, it does bring us another story to it. Everybody wants to know, um you know if you if you if you bring some food or if you make some food and try and give someone it and you say oh i foraged this it's wild they always ask questions like they say where did you get it from how did you know which ones to get you know like are you are you into foraging can you tell me about it like it, it's just lovely people just want to know about it and and they want to taste these new flavors especially when they come from our own landscape because everybody loves the idea of like oh I can go and do that myself it's free it's just out there you know it's really easy according to this person so um yeah I think it's just a really nice thing to be able to share with people definitely uh when did you first start foraging for food so um I started foraging I mean I've always done it in very basic ways so when I was younger me and my mum used to go foraging for blackberries every autumn without fail and then we'd go into uh, a place we went to every year and scrumped some apples as well because they always had too many and they didn't deserve them all so we used to make crumble and that was sort of the first thing I did and the only thing I did really for the whole of my childhood um and then um when I was around 11 or 12, my sister met my now brother-in-law, and it was my brother-in-law, actually, who really got me into it. So he showed me sort of the basics of what he knew. So all the hedgerow berries, all the sort of essential stuff, the wild garlic and the garlic mustard and that sort of thing. Um, and he, liked, he still to this day loves trying things like tapping birch water from trees and that sort of thing. So we always have a really nice time sort of trying out new things and seeing what we can find. Um, And we made elderberry champagne, which was great and exploded. Um, (laughs) So, yeah, my brother-in-law really got me into it. And I have him to thank for sort of sparking an interest. And then I just sort of pursued that myself and um, really started getting creative in the kitchen with it and things like that. So, yeah, I've been doing it in some form or other since I can remember. But it really kicked off. Yeah, when I I met my (laughs) brother-in-law.
0: I want to return a little bit later on to the the kind of content of the book, um, but I wanted to ask a bit more around the the process of writing it. Um, I suppose by starting off with the question of why did you decide to do a book about foraging for food?
1: Mm, no, or, do you or want?
0: Why did you decide to write a book?
1: <laughs> well, that's a good question. Um really if i'm honest i didn't decide to write a book about foraging (laughs) so i have always wanted to write books it's always been something i've wanted to do but i didn't think it would happen for you know my 30s at least if i was lucky um it's just something you always think you want to do and then i was basically i had a very jammy lucky break where so obviously you know the group are focused on nature which we are well you are not part of anymore i don't know but yeah um a focus on nature is, as you know, the biggest sort of young conservation conservationist group in the UK, and I've been a part of that for, a, for a quite a long time now, and I wrote a blog post for them once. They have an Advent series on their blog every Christmas, and um, every year it's themed around something different, and the the year in question was the theme of gifts, and I'd forgotten I'd put my name down for it, so I... One day, I thought, oh God, I've got to submit this blog post soon. I better write something about gifts. So I came up with the theme of Gifts from the Hedgerow. And I'd been doing loads of foraging that season. I was like, I'll just write a little blog post about all the little things I've been doing, about what I've been making and, you know, Slow Gin and all the nice things I've been doing. And I submitted it and sort of forgot all about it, really. <laughs> and it went online and um, I had an email from Jim Martin at Bloomsbury. And he basically emailed me and said, oh, we've been looking for somebody to write a book about foraging. Would you like to do it? <laughs> I was like, oh, my God, that's probably the best email I've ever received or will ever receive. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it was literally, I, I sort of always like to think of it as half luck, half skill, because I have for many years now written a blog and written and written and just, you know, as every good writer should, just chucked my stuff into the ether and hoped that somebody sees it. Um and yeah very very luckily the right person saw it at the right time and completely changed my life so it's a funny question because although I am genuinely a lover of foraging and I was very very happy to write a book about it it was never something I planned myself it was just something that sort of stumbled into my life really (laughs) and it's been great. Yeah I was gonna
0: say um, that that blog didn't that blog on the Focus on Nature Advent series didn't kind of happen in isolation, and in our first recording for this podcast, you and I talked a lot about the blog, the blog which you've written for years and years and years. And I think I went before before we spoke, I went back through and read your blog from back years ago through to through to the present day at the time, which took me quite a long time, but which <laughs> you know clearly showed how much effort and persistence you've put into writing and to honing your writing skills and your storytelling skills as well over years. So that email from Jim kind of came out of the blue but at the same time didn't really, in that you've put a huge amount of work into writing over the past yeah. over the past few years.
1: Yeah, I think that's fair to say. I I mean I feel I feel really grateful and lucky it was seen by the right person at the right time but I also I I don't feel like I don't deserve it if you know what I mean I feel like Mm. oh at last chucking all your stuff out there does work (laughs) you just got to be patient and just keep going and you're right yeah I kept developing my skill I I used every opportunity you know and feedback and tried to you Mm. know improve what I was doing and so I have just seized every opportunity possible Um, and very luckily the universe was on my side and sort of you know gave me a break which which is really great um and yeah that's what i sort of tell anyone now if people are like oh how did you do that you know can you give me any advice and like oh you just got to keep persevering and just stay positive and that's the most annoying advice but it is the best advice really
0: <laughs> yeah so so for anyone out there who is an aspiring writer when when did you get that email from jim roughly was that 2016 uh, it was de- december 2015, December 2015. Okay, so yeah. from then it's taken two yeah, and a I... years through to through to it coming out in the next few days.
1: Yeah, so I got the email, amazing, um, and then um, I signed the contract in the following March 2016, and then i my deadline was march 2017 so i had a year to write it and then it was taken. it takes amazingly it takes a year from submission to publication because it takes months just to print it it's crazy um so yeah then it was a year on and now we're yeah 8th of march and i'm a year on from my submission date and it's about to come out so yeah it does it takes a little while but it's not you know it's not years and years and years um Yeah. And I'm about I've just actually I'm about to sign the contract for my second one now, which is nice, uh, which is with Bloomsbury as well. And that's going to be out um, autumn 2019. Oh, that's exciting. Yeah. Can you tell us anything about that one? Yeah, I mean it's not loads to tell yet because it's still. Like, oh God, I'm writing furiously, but um, it's not in any way like *Feed You Can Forage*. I love that book. That's a um, very different to what I'm writing now. So I'm writing a sort of narrative non-fiction, proper book with words, if you know what I mean. Um, no pictures, and um, it's all about our relationship with the night sky. So yeah, it's sort of about darkness and nighttime and dusk and evening and how we've sort of um, lived with that through human history but it's also quite a personal narrative about my own life over the last few sort of months and the year and how I've sort of used the night the nightscape to as a sort of healing force in my own life so it's kind of hard to describe really um once I've finished it, maybe I'll be able to sum it up better. But uh I'm excited about it and yeah, it, it's going well. So yeah, stay tuned. <laughs> okay, that sounds amazing. Um
0: <laughs> just returning to the process for food you can forage. So mm-hmm. um could you give a bit of a sort of like breakdown of how you used the the time over the past two years? So what what proportion of that first year was research and then what proportion was writing and then over the past 12 months have you just kind of sat back or have there have there (laughs) been phases of editing and then preparing for promotion and that sort of thing
1: yeah it's been quite quite um fun actually so in obviously i had a year to write it but because i signed the contract in march that's beginning of foraging season so it's you know i i I did a lot of research and I spent around six months of the year just researching, just going out, seeing what I could find. Um, I I had a few new plants to learn myself because, obviously, as much as you know about foraging, if I had to write about every single plant in the UK, there were some I had to learn, which was really fun. Um, So, a lot of it I was just out walking, taking photos, doing, you know, writing notes, and then everything I took home, I then had to taste try all these recipes, basically, so that was a massive process trying and trying and failing and trying and succeeding with recipes, seeing what worked and what didn't so yeah about the first six months was just research and just playing around the kitchen and just going for walks because it was lovely weather I wanted to be outside just you know properly engaging with everything and then as soon as autumn hit and I sort of gathered as many berries as I could and put them in the freezer um I then just spent yeah but spent about six months just solid writing um trying to get everything in and writing up recipes which is a real process in itself actually and then writing about the habitats and the wildlife so yeah it was about half and half because obviously it's such an outdoorsy book that I had to be outside all the time researching it's not something you can just you know research in a library or online it's it's getting outdoors and and you know sensing it all for yourself and then once the deadline passed um and I did have a month in that point where I had to try and finish my Masters as well which was hilarious (laughs) just that small matter (laughs) I know because the thing is I I loved my Masters and I did it because I wanted to further my you know literary career so when you get halfway and you get a book deal it's like oh well (laughs) I really I sort of want to write my book now I don't really want to write any coursework so I did I did manage to pass and it was fine in the end but yeah in the August which was bang in the middle of my writing year I had to somehow throw together the worst dissertation I've ever written in my life. It was so bad, but it managed to pass. So it's all good. Um, but yeah, so once I submitted, um it was it basically I didn't I actually it went quite quiet, I had a bit of a break because it went off to the proofreaders and the editors, and they sort of went through and made some changes and then they came back every few weeks and said, Can we change this? Can we change this sentence? Um, and I also did oh I forgot to say it has actually got some of my own illustrations in as well so but that was all submitted at the same time but I had to sort of you know tweak a few of those so it's got some nice wildlife illustrations in there as well Mm. So after the proofreading and editing bit, yeah, it was sort of as I said, it takes five to six months just to print. So it was done by autumn. There was nothing more we could do to change it. So then it was, yeah, just promotional stuff really. I sort of I got um kindly asked to increase my Instagram activity, which was fine. <laughs> I was like, Okay <laughs> post some more photos of leaves and things um use my hashtag so yeah I'm sorry to anyone who follows me on social media if I got really irritating over the last few years um over the last few months it was by order of my publishers and not me um so yeah it was then just those promotional stuff so it's just been mainly over the last two or three months that I've started having meetings and arranging um events and things so I've got quite an exciting calendar coming up this year um but it has all sort of yeah really snowballed now and I'm I'm quite busy I get a lot of emails every day I have to sort of try I've given myself a three-day reply rule (laughs) so I try and reply to everyone within three days it does not work but at least I'm trying
0: (laughs) so that that whole process sounds pretty full-on did you particularly for the phase when you were doing most of the writing did you have any particular kind of routine in place or any particular rituals or practices that helped you kind of focus and you know really just bear down on the actual writing of the book.
1: Um
0: or was it not quite like that because it's a little bit more, you know, you say like with your night sky book, it's a lot more kind of flowing prose, whereas this I suppose is a little bit more broken up in terms of the text.
1: Yeah, this was quite nice actually because yeah you're right. If I got to a point, if I went sat down to write and I was like, I don't want to write about a plant one day, you know, having a bit of a block, then I could just be like, okay, well I'll work on a recipe for this or I'll work on the introduction or I'll work on this and or do an illustration. So um that was really nice actually. It was so f- it's such a fragmented writing style, writing a book like that that you can just sort of pick and choose what am I feeling like writing today, which is really nice. Um but it did <laughs> yeah it got to, I mean it, obviously towards the end as with any project anyone ever does you sort of have to speed up a bit at the end and be like oh I've got to really you know put all my time and still got quite a lot of words to do and all this stuff but I was quite lucky because I went on holiday um in the month before um it was it was due in and we were in India and it was too hot to really do anything so I did take it with me there and sort of sit by the beach and write sandwiches very nice. <laughs> so I like to think that actually really helped me um get everything in on time because uh it was a lot nicer writing it on the beach in India than it was writing it in the rain in the UK. <laughs> and
0: um what sort of what sort of promotion
1: have you plans have you got in place for once it's published on the 8th of March? Um, quite a lot of cool things actually. So I'm I'm quite proactive with this sort of thing, but my, my publicist has been really good as well. So um I'm I'm booked in for quite a lot of food festivals and book festivals, which is really cool. Um I've got a couple of workshops I'm doing at the farm where I have just left, which is nice. Um just some sort of foraging workshops, getting people out and, you know, finding some materials and making jam and that sort of thing. Um I think I'm recording another podcast at one point. Um, But I am quite proactive. I really want to get – I did um, Tweet of the Day last year. I was on – I did a couple of episodes of Tweet of the Day, and I loved it. Like, I loved writing it and going to the studio and recording it, and I I really like being on the radio. So I'm going to try and – wangle some something else in the radio i think every every girl's dream is to be on women's hour so i'd love to i'd really love to get on that uh, so if anyone hears that and uh, you know as a producer on women's hour please get me on i'm sure um, they're listening to this <laughs> <laughs> but yeah so no i just lots of festivals and talk i've got a lot of talks on so i'm doing one for a local wildlife trust group and doing a couple in bookshops and that sort of thing which is really nice um so yeah, just lots of very things really. But I'm putting it all on my website. So, and it, to be honest, it's mainly my way of remembering what I've got on. I put it on my website as my little calendar. So if anybody would like to come and listen to me or, you know, do a workshop or whatever, it's all on my website. You can book everything through there. So yeah, quite an exciting year. And I must say, since I made the decision to go freelance, it's gonna it seems a lot less stressful because I was like, Oh god, how am I gonna fit all this stuff in around working? And now that <laughs> obstacle has disappeared so <laughs> so yeah it's, it's going to be a really exciting year I'm feeling really positive about it cool that's really exciting
0: um well I don't want to keep you for too long because it's your first as, as we said at the beginning it's your first kind of evening <laughs> of freedom um but I guess I just want to close by asking if there's any excerpts from the book that you want to share from us a recipe or any other bit of text from it and then and then maybe you can round off after that by telling people where and how they can get hold of it and um, where they can pre-order it and where they can then buy it once it's published
1: um yes no I'd love to read an excerpt from it so I thought um obviously like I said there's quite a lot of different stuff in there there's habitats and food and recipes and all sorts but what I thought I would actually just read from the introduction because um I was quite pleased with my introduction to foraging. It's quite a big thing to try and sort of, you know, get people into. And yeah, I just really want, like I said before, I want people to feel comfortable with doing it and just see it as a really fun thing to do. So Mm. would you like me to read that now?
0: Yeah, that sounds lovely. Go for it. Lovely.
1: When I was writing this book, I was asked countless times by friends and family to explain exactly what foraging was. Most knew it involved gathering fruit from the hedgerows and seeking out the first wild garlic leaves of spring. But I was also asked if I'd be scrumping pears from private orchards, no comment, or scooping up roadkill for a hot pot. No ethical objection here except my vegetarianism. I think foraging is one of the most fascinating and enjoyable hobbies there is, and one anybody can get stuck into, from the tiddliest child to that bizarre friend of yours who can't tolerate dirt. For me... Foraging means learning about the wild plants in your local environment, gathering the edible ones and eating them in the most satisfying way possible. It's about collecting edible treasures from our native trees and simmering them into dark sticky jams and about biting on the earthy crunch of hazelnuts fresh from the husk, tasting the salt crystals hidden in a frond of seaweed and gathering silver mushrooms under a sky scattered with stars. The art of foraging is almost as ancient as humanity itself. One of the first adaptations early humans made was the transition to hunting and gathering. We taught ourselves to hunt wild animals and gather plants to feed our families, habits that became so essential to our survival that it lasted for 90% of human history before farming was introduced at the end of the Stone Age. In a while before online shopping and takeaway pizza, foraging was a vital part of daily life for our ancestors and one on which they depended to stay alive. Now we have such secure, affordable and varied food production Why should we bother to forage for our food? Why seek out blackberries, hazelnuts or thyme when we can find them all in the vegetable aisle? By examining how far we have strayed from our primordial roots, it becomes more and more apparent why we must reconnect with nature and our wild origins. In Stephen Moss's 2012 Natural Childhood Report for the National Trust, it was revealed that on average, British children watch more than 17 hours of television a week and spend more than 20 hours a week online. And while there are positive benefits of screen time, the belief is that children are not being given the freedom to escape outdoors and enjoy the natural world. Access to nature has also proven to have positive effects on the mental and physical health of adults. It is essential that we switch up our weekly schedules and spend more time in the beautiful landscapes our country has to offer. And foraging is the perfect way to do it. When carried out sustainably and respectfully, foraging is an incredibly environmentally friendly choice. There is no reliance on chemicals and pesticides, The food is seasonal and there is no carbon footprint from importing and transportation. It can literally be harvested fresh from the ground and carried lovingly to your own kitchen, ready to be savoured and devoured. When I scoop a thick blob of blackberry jam onto a piece of warm toast, my mind fills with recollections of misty autumn walks and the kitchen cupboard is transformed into a scrapbook of delicious memories.
0: I love it. Good. (laughs) a good response <laughs> <laughs> makes me want to go and make some homemade blackberry jam <laughs>
1: excellent that's that's the good thing I like that
0: <laughs> so where I'm sure having uh having wet people's appetites um pun intended <laughs> um people will be interested to know where and
1: when and how they can they can get hold of the book um so uh my book is available to pre-order now and it will be out on the 8th of march um you can get it online so basically any way you can think of um amazon waterstones anything like that um all of the online places and obviously off the bloomsbury website and you can also um i think you can pre-order it in most bookshops but certainly when it's out from the 8th you can you can get it in all good bookshops and if they don't have it then they're rubbish <laughs> <laughs>
0: Excellent. Tiff, thank you so much. That was really fun and best of luck with the launch. I'm really excited for you.
1: Thank you very much. Thank you. It's lovely.
0: I really hope you enjoyed that conversation and you can find more of them at wildvoicesproject.org on Twitter at wildvoicesproj or by subscribing to the podcast in iTunes or Stitcher. Thanks very much, and until next time.